Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. Our next workshop is coming up March 15th through the 17th in Pennsylvania in the beautiful Poconos along the Delaware River. Space is limited, so call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY to register. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have on the line with us today, actually, uh, David Kyle Foster. So, David, thank you for being with us today. That's a great pleasure. Yeah, so, David, uh, I've, I, I got to know David many, many years ago, and I'm still actually trying to remember exactly how we met. I think we might have first met at a conference in D.C., I think, that might have been going on many, many, many years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I think that was our first intersection, and then I started learning about what you were doing, and then you were getting into yeah, television with uh, Pure Passion TV, and that's been an, a, a wonderful journey that you were on, and then um, just all the resources and ministry that you've been doing in this space of sexual integrity. So why don't you take a few minutes to just let everybody kind of know uh, a little bit about your journey and, and ministry, and, and then I'd love for us to dive into some of these, these topics that you had wanted to bring before our audience. Well, I was born into a Presbyterian dynasty. We go back as far as I, I can uh, find on Ancestry.com to Scotland. Presbyterians, all pastors. And so, you know, I was a preacher's kid, and my dad was a, uh, a Princeton grad, so he didn't have all the born-again language and read the Bible every day stuff. And uh, so I grew up not really knowing Christ and, um, and not really liking my father. He was kind of stern, you know, that Scottish independent sternness where mm-hmm. children should be seen and not heard kind of a thing. Right. Well, here I am, this really sensitive young boy, and I needed my father to tell me he loved me, and I needed him to hug me, and none of that. He was so busy with ministry. So I grew up with this chip on my shoulder, not only with God, but with, uh, not only with Dad, but with God, because he represented God. Mm. So I grew up very rebellious, got into smoking at nine, and then pornography, and then uh, promiscuity and went out to Hollywood to become an actor and it just got worse and worse there. I, I got into homosexuality and prostitution and I was as messed up a sex addict as you can possibly dream of. Totally out of control, demonized to the max, unable to control my own behavior. 
And then in 1980, um, I had been following a guru for a year. And in 1980, I had realized he wasn't God after all. And so I flew to Israel to find Jesus. A very colorful thing to do for an actor. Right, yeah. And uh, so I go, I take a UCLA tour. I didn't want Christians talking to me. I just wanted Jesus talking to me. And I, uh, after the tour was over, I was walking down the garden, uh, the um, Mount of Olives, toward the Garden of Gethsemane, tagging along behind a Christian tour group to get myself a free tour. And the pastor would read out of the Bible what Jesus said when he wept over Jerusalem. And as he read it, I heard it in my spirit, in my heart. I heard Jesus saying the very words I was hearing read. And it instantly concluded that the Bible was literally the word of God. Mm. It's spoken by an eternal God and therefore eternally being spoken. Uh, nobody had ever suggested that to me. But that experience of he, hearing Jesus say the words the pastor was reading, I knew instantly. So I go in the uh, Church of All Nations with the rock where Christ um, prayed when he was arrested. And I asked, I asked him, I said, my guru can do miracles and you can do miracles. And how am I supposed to know who's God? Right. And he said, who proved his love for you? And that was such an awesome answer because I had just visited where he dragged the cross, where he'd been scourged, where he'd been crucified. And it was clear that Jesus alone had demonstrated what he was preaching with his very life. And he had demonstrated the apex of loving someone, which is giving your life for them. Mm. So I flew back to LA and told everybody in the ashram where I had been living. But they were following the Antichrist and uh, <laughs> they kicked me out went off to seminary and got straight uh, biblically. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say coming back, you didn't exactly have the most popular message uh, in that group, huh? <laughs> oh man, they switched on a dime when I started with that. Well, and here you are now also for many years been carrying an unpopular message, right? When it comes <laughs> to the issue of dealing with biblical sexuality in a culture that is moving anywhere but toward biblical sexuality. So, so share with us now, you know, you, you, you come back, you begin to get a new foundation for, for your life and understanding of God. Um, and how did you then navigate into this space of ministry of dealing really specifically with the issue of sexual brokenness? Well, I went through three years of seminary, which was perfect because I got grounded in the Word of God, and it renewed my mind. Um, but it was an evangelical seminary. It wasn't charismatic at all. So I was just getting the Bible only. I wasn't getting a lot of the extra stuff that we get once we start going out there in the church world. And that was just so important, knowing that the Bible was literally the Word of God and believing every single word of it, every, everything I read was so very important. And I think a lot of people coming out of sexual brokenness skip that step. Mm. They just read the Bible at a surface level, not even wondering if it's really inerrant or not. And so that was my first three years. And then after that, I went to John Wimber's church in Anaheim, California, and he was really popular back then. Um, in the healing ministry. And he had been a teacher at Fuller Seminary. And there they had worship music. A lot of the old worship music that we still sing came out of this church. 
And so we would worship 45 minutes before anything else happened in the church, deep, intimate worship. And I realized how important that was in, in the demonization that I was still struggling with on a more minor level. The, the demonic powers couldn't stand it, praising and worshiping God. And they just left on their own. I could actually feel a lifting mm-hmm. and a freedom I'd never had before through worship. So the word is critical and indispensable. And worship is a form of spiritual warfare that really works. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times we've um, we've just heard guys over the years who have had a strong I, I could put maybe I could put it this way regimen of time in the Word, but not but were very weak in worship, and it's amazing how when they begin to understand the connection between the Word and worship that there's a whole new level of freedom and a whole new level of, of uh, hope, really, that comes because I do think there are certain things that we can't, there are certain bonds, I think, that can't be broken apart from worship. I mean, Jesus even talked about certain demons. It's like only through prayer can these be cast out. And it's like, oh, well, no wonder so many people are still kind of bound up in things because they've got a lot of head knowledge of word, but they're not experiencing that deep prayer and that deep worship that I think breaks them free at a different level. You know, another thing I got at that church was they had home fellowship groups. And these were groups of eight to 12 people. And you would meet every week and they would pray and lay hands on you. Uh, Whoever had the biggest pressing problem that week would speak up and say what was going on. And then they would all gather around you and pray for you and and worship. And uh, that was also critical. So the three pillars were the word, the worship, and the fellowship with the body of Christ. God right. worked through that. Yeah, and I think another thing that we've seen a lot in our ministry is uh, the leaving off of that fellowship and community. And yes. again, we see so many guys, especially when we're dealing with men, we see so many men that that try to remain in isolation, doing all the right things, <laughs> you know, in terms of, head knowledge and behavior and all that. And yet they are still exhausted. They're still bound up. They're not actually free. They're still really doing the same things that they were doing. And there's just something about this, this multifaceted, um, uh, not approach, but like this multifaceted way that God intends us to live life. Um, and that's kind of, we, we sort of call it the, the, the one another way. You know, when you think about in the New Testament, all the many passages that are about one another, where, you know, to pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, you know, all those types of things. And I, I, when I tell my story, I say, to me, it's like, it's the two degrees that changed everything. Because for a long, long time, you know, I was staying isolated in my closet, crying to God, take this away. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be doing these things anymore. And, and from a place of real genuine brokenness, but it's like he kept whispering, I have all that you need right over there in that group. <laughs> and it was like, I just didn't want to go over there. And it's like, it's, it's as if he's, he's more than willing and able and ready to unleash his power to transform our lives. But I believe he chooses to do it in, in the context of community. And so can you speak a little bit more to that in terms of what you have seen in your own ministry 
of just that power of community as we come together for worship, we come together for the word, um, and why that's so critical, you think, to, to the transformation process? Well, if I were looking for a church today, I would try to find one that had solid uh, scriptural teaching, uh, intimate worship, and home fellowship groups. Now, not everybody can find those in, in one church, but that's what to look for uh, optimally. Um, and then in those fellowship groups, uh, God begins to reveal things. Uh, another pillar, I guess it's a four-pillar chair we're talking about, um, is intimacy with the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us love Jesus and we'll talk to Jesus, but we're kind of afraid of the Father. We think he doesn't like us or he's mad at us or whatever because of the male authority figures we've had in our life. But pursuing the Father is what, the Jesus, is what Jesus told us to do. And so we need to switch that intimacy, not give it up with Jesus, but to switch the primary focus on the Father. And then as you begin pursuing the Father with all your heart, like he said in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, if you, if you seek me with all your heart, I will reveal myself to you. Mm-hmm. And that's the scripture I challenged God with, because I read it in Jeremiah before I went to Israel. And I said, God, this is your word. Um, then you're going to reveal yourself to me because I'm going to pursue you with all my heart. And it's that intimacy. So in a home fellowship group, you're looking for intimate fellowship with praying for each other and singing worship songs. And even when you're alone in your bedroom, crying out to God, that's critical because Mm -hmm. uh, in that intimacy, he begins speaking to you and he begins revealing to you the roots of your problem. And then as you continue to pursue him, he begins showing you the way out of those roots. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, it wasn't as if, uh, because I agree with you, there is a, there's a there's also a unique type of intimacy that we experience with the father in solitude and alone because he's he has this beautiful personal relationship with us so it's not as if even alone in my closet that god was being you know cruel towards me in my weeping and my crying but i think there's a point at which you know i think about it with my own kids i know them so well that I know when their crying has gone from a place of true repentance and sorrow to a place of I'm being stiff-necked and I don't really want to do what I know you're asking me to do. <laughs> you know, and it's like the Father knows us so well that he knows when, when is the time for a real gentle touch and when is the time for a little heavier hand. Yes. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. There's an intimacy there that when we can begin to sense, how is he prompting me? Is he prompting me to... Um, to rest in his arms or is he prompting me now to go into somewhere that's uncomfortable, but it's for my good. Yeah. And we are, especially Americans, we're so proud. Mm. We have this independent streak in us and, you know, we declared our independence 200 years ago and we're mighty proud of it. Right. And, uh, and so we have this streak in us that you really can't see in yourself unless you go overseas and see how the, how humble the rest of the world is. So part of what God does in our having to wait for an answer is humble us in that waiting. Mm-hmm. We come to realize that we're not God. We don't have the answers. He is God and he has exactly the right answer. 
and we need to wait on him because he is God Almighty, mm-hmm. and he deserves to be worshipped first and foremost. And then, as and in my experience, he spoke to me the most after the word. He spoke to me the most when I was worshiping him. And I remember one night I was singing the most beautiful love song to him. Thought I was doing really well. I thought I was making him really happy. And uh, and as I'm singing this love song, he says to me. Uh, do you believe 2 Corinthians 3.18? And I said, yeah, God, I believe the Bible's the inerrant word of God. (laughs) And he said to me, no, you don't. Mm. And I thought, oh, well, he's God, he knows. So how is it that I don't? And and, and it's the scripture that says, as we gaze upon the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into his image. And he showed me that I was believing that on an intellectual level only, not from the heart of faith. And he said, why don't you uh, read that scripture and worship me, assuming that that scripture is literally true, that as you're worshiping me, I am transforming you in the spirit into my image. And he said, what you're worshiping me for is what I'm transforming into you. That was the greatest revelation, uh, one of the greatest I ever had. That is beautiful. So, so David, I'm, I'm looking at a few notes that you had sent to me, and there's a line on here that I would love for us to explore a little bit that I, I want you to kind of unpack for us. You wanted to talk about the similarities of cause and cure of most every form of sexual brokenness. What, what do you mean by that? Can you help us understand what that means? Well, the word cure is an unfortunate word. I can't think of a better one. Uh, but you don't get cured like taking an aspirin cures a headache. It's much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But the causes of all sexual brokenness are almost identical. There's a few differences here and there. Uh, the similarity between the heterosexual sex addict and the homosexual, for example, it's almost identical in terms of what causes the sexual uh, sin and brokenness with just a few variables. Um, those things can be unbelief, not believing the Bible, uh, not uh, operating in it, assuming it's true, uh, roots of bitterness, roots of unforgiveness, vows that you make, um, judgments that you make of people. There's all kinds of things that are roots of brokenness in general, and sexual brokenness is what we're talking about here. Yeah. And I, I love to tell people, and you know, I get some pretty weird looks when people, when I say this to people, but I say, I like to say we're far more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. And to live in a society that is so prone on pointing out differences, that's not exactly a message that people embrace very quickly because everybody wants, you talk about, you know, Americans, especially being a proud people, right? Well, we, we boil that down even to the differences in our brokenness or the differences in our ideas, the differences we want to point out that, you know, uh, I mean, I could even go so far as to just say, you know, David, you're Scottish. I'm Irish, man. We are totally different. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, not really. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that's true. If we can, if we can pull it back to this reality that as human beings, the fundamental most important things that are part of our shared experience are more alike than they are different. And I think that's, I think if I understand you right here, that's important to understand on the brokenness side, but then it's probably also important to understand on the healing side as well. Right? Yeah. 
and and the healing really can't start until you repent. Mm -hmm. People skip that that step as well. They they want healing without Jesus, and so they go get a maintenance program and they follow the program and they get a little better. They stop doing what they were doing, but they never get born again. They never develop an intimacy with the God who can actually transform them from the inside out. Much better than a maintenance program because what God does is he uh, focuses on in on your will, which is the bottom line of change. The will is in rebellion against God. And so God, in not answering your prayer immediately, he's humbling you mm -hmm. and he's showing you the brokenness that's in your will. Now, the way he fixes that problem is you find this in Titus 2, 11 through 14. He keeps heaping grace upon grace upon grace in your life. And finally, one day, you realize, if this is what God is really like, I don't want to obey him just because I'm supposed to. I want to obey him because I love him, because I want to. And that's when he, he splits your will into one that engages him out of love rather than duty. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think sometimes we start talking about the will, especially in our Western Americanized culture, even in the church, we take that to mean that I need to make myself do something even if I don't want to. And that's a component of it, right? There's a choosing aspect. But I love what you're saying because when you understand the freedom that comes by the way of grace, what that means is the word of God is true when, when God says that he will actually put into us a new heart. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what that flipping of that will is, is it's saying when I finally fully surrender and stop trying to hold on to life in my own power, with my own reason, my own way, and recognize that God is good, and therefore he's wanting my good, then it's as if, he does something that, that we can't fully explain. It's almost something that you can, it's kind of like trying to, um, trying to tell somebody what it was like to stand and look over the Grand Canyon without actually having gone to the Grand Canyon. There's something very experiential about this change that happens. And so, you know, you and I can shout it from the rooftops that, no, it's really true. I don't want to do the things I used to do. You know, it's like there's actually a different desire in me that I can't fully explain. And it's like, you just want to say, well, come to the Grand Canyon with me and I'll, you know, you can experience it for your own. Is that kind of a way to, to think about how this works? Yeah. And to give you another couple of examples of how similar we are, uh, sex addicts, heterosexual, and homosexuals usually both have a river of self-hatred in them. It's what drives them to try to medicate their pain because somehow along the way they got the message that they were no good, they were unlovable, they were unredeemable, and they have believed that lie. And that's one of the healing process is discovering the lies you've believed mm -hmm. and counter them with the truth that's in the Word of God. So there's this river of self-hatred that the Lord works on, and he speaks to you of his love, and he does all. I mean, to tell you the truth, one two-second word from the Lord is worth a lifetime of therapy in terms of the healing power. His word, his, his affirmations are healing in and of themselves. And then another thing uh, homosexuals and uh, sex addicts share is a fear of intimacy. Mm -hmm. Somehow along the line, uh, they tried to be intimate with someone, and they got knocked down. They got rejected. They got pushed back. 
and now they're afraid. Let me give you an example. Uh, a little boy comes running home from school, maybe he's eight years old, and he bursts into the kitchen, all excited about what has just happened at school. And he starts to just uh, deliver what has happened. And his parents sitting there on the kitchen table slap him and tell him, shut up and go to your room. Mm. Well, what has happened is that little boy just opened his heart. He tried to be intimate, share intimately with his parents, and they slapped him down. Something that, that small can begin a root of a fear of being intimate. In my life, we had this lady in our family environment who looked like Marilyn Monroe. I mean, spit an image. And as I was seven or eight years old, she would tease me about girls incessantly. And the Lord showed me this later. I couldn't have figured it out on my own. He showed me later that when she teased me about girls, I felt humiliated by her. And since she was voluptuous, mm -hmm. I grew up with this fear that a sexually mature woman was going to humiliate me. Mm. So it instilled in me a fear of being intimate with women. Yeah. Well, so we have a we have a few minutes left, David, and I would love to just have you share a little bit about, uh, especially the resource that you have really spent decades <laughs> developing, uh, you know, and it's kind of come out in several iterations, but talk a little bit about the Sexual Healing Reference Guide and kind of its metamorphosis over the years and and the benefit that it could be to those who are on this journey of, of seeking sexual healing. Well, I never thought I'd go into ministry to sexually broken people. It was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pastor of a PCA church. Mm -hmm. uh, but the PCA didn't want me because I was charismatic. I don't know if they're still like that, but that, that got kicked out of me. And, um, and so I sat down about 12 years into my healing process, and um, I just sat at the computer thinking, I'm going to write down what the Lord has taught me in these 12 years, what he's done for me, things he said to me. And as I sat down to the computer, it just poured out of me. It was like a divine appointment where I was to write down all the details of what God had done in my life to set me free from homosexuality, sex addiction, voyeurism, exhibitionism. I mean, I was doing everything. Um, and so that became the first iteration of the sexual healing book. Regal Books picked that up in 2005. And then um, it went out of print when they were sold to paper books. And so I, I redid the whole book and I expanded it and I added chapters on transgender. And so the book has every major area of sexual brokenness in it. What causes, in, in most cases, what causes that brokenness and how God leads you out of it and transforms your life. It also has early sections on laying the foundation before you even start addressing your brokenness, such as intimacy with God, knowing him as father, um, learning what sexuality is all about. And then we go through each sexual brokenness area. And then we end up the book with what do you do when you fail? Mm. And those sorts of issues. What do you do about performance orientation? You're trying to earn God's love rather than living out of grace. So it's very comprehensive. I, I rewrote it so that a pastor could keep it on his shelf and refer to it when counselees would come in with a particular issue that maybe he wasn't familiar with. He could go to the book and read that chapter or a sexually broken people, uh, sexually broken person could do the same. 
Well, and I think I remember you telling me one time when it went to the publisher originally that you you felt like they cut it in half because they like they just pared it way down. So this feels like it's maybe a little bit of a rebirth of hey, let's p- pull the more comprehensive, larger scope of the information back into that, um, so that yeah. again it can be a full reference reference guide. So tell our listeners how they can get access to that resource. Well, I just want to say. Everything we've talked about is in it. It's everything I know. <laughs> it's called the Sexual Healing Reference Edition. It's 500 pages. It's quite comprehensive. And they can get it at our website, which is purepassion.us. We have it $10 cheaper than anywhere else. Amazon is more expensive than everybody else. So come to our website to get it, purepassion.us. Yeah, and you also, uh, if if we got just a couple of seconds here, let's. Uh, can you share with him also about the? Uh, you've got a documentary, right? That's been that's been done. So uh, share a little bit about that. We've done three documentaries. The first one on homosexuality, the second one on parents and friends of homosexuals, and the third one on transgender disorders. We're working on a fourth one on female sexual brokenness. We have a great lineup with that. Kay Arthur and Julie Slattery and Mo Isom and Julie Royce, just some outstanding. In fact, we taped some of the interviews at your conference last year. I was so grateful you allowed us to do that. And then we have a TV show called Pure Passion, still airing. Even though we've gone out of production, the, the, the network keeps airing it. And if you have Dish Network or DirecTV, you can watch it on Saturday nights. Yeah. Pure Passion. Well, David, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your years of wisdom. We appreciate it. Thank you too, Jonathan. And listeners, of course, we're always glad that you're with us and we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.